0: Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason podolan for episode number 39. I am your host, Jason podolan and today it sounds strange, but I also happen to be the guest. I'm going to tell you how this went about, and uh, it's a little bit odd and it's a little bit strange, but it actually works. So I'm fighting through my aversion to doing this, and I'm going to release it, and I'm going to tell you why. There's been a few of you over the past weeks and months that have reached out over text, a direct message, whatever social media to say uh, that they really appreciate what I'm doing, love the stories, but would like to hear my story and would like to hear, uh, you know, my uh, my ups and downs and my draft day and, you know, my, me and the minors. And, and although I was, you know, honored and grateful that people would want to listen, I really had no idea how that was going to happen because there was no chance I was going to sit in front of a computer screen or a microphone and talk for an hour uh, to myself. That's, that I just didn't understand how that would work. Plus, I felt that there were so many other great people out here with, with awesome stories that I wanted to share and be a part of the interview. So I kind of never really gave it any serious consideration. However, there is a gentleman by the name of Nick Konorowski, uh, and he had a podcast called Jersey Stories. Why I say had is because he was forced to... Uh, stopped doing the podcast because his employer felt that there was a a conflict of interest between his podcast and his job. I don't know why or how or what the reasons were for that. But before he could release the episode that we did together, uh, he he was asked to stop doing his podcast. So now we had this podcast with him and I that was never going to be heard. And he was proud of the interview. I was proud of the interview. I thought that he did a really great job running it. And we kind of had the idea of, well, maybe this is how my listeners get to hear about me—is that you know you interviewing me, but we'll have it be an up my hockey episode. So that's how this all happened. We had a we had a podcast in the can that told my story uh, and also happens to tell three. Funny, memorable stories for me at the end of the podcast, uh, which was essentially the the idea or the difference maker kind of behind his podcast that he was interviewing ex pros or people in the game, current NHLers, and and having them talk about their fa- three favorite memories or three favorite pieces of sports memorabilia that they collected. So we get into those stories at the end. But I have to be honest with you. You I mean I I definitely fought through the urge not to do it because there was a big part of me that didn't want me to be on here you know I didn't want to feel that it was uh, about me or that I felt that my story was important or I didn't want you to think that I was being pretentious or narcissistic or any of these things but at the end of the day I think the truth of the matter is is that why you are actually listening to me on this show right now and why you've tuned in previously is because of my stories. You know, I mean, if, if those things that I'm going to share here in this episode never happened to me, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now up my hockey wouldn't exist. So as far as from a Genesis standpoint of this company and this podcast and, and what I'm doing now in the world of, 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 hockey and athletics, uh, it has relevance. And I think, and I think I have to be honest with that, that it's a big piece of this story. And for those of you interested, uh, I think it's time to share it, and because there's a great way for me to share it. Uh, like I said, it's it's already been done. There's nothing I had to do with it. I would already done the work, and we just pr- had to produce it as an episode about my hockey. So we're going to release it here as episode number 39. Uh, I hope you find it interesting. I hope you find some lessons in it. And uh, without further ado, I bring you the episode "Ren," hosted by Nick Konorowski, with me, uh, Jason Panolan. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Welcome back, episode number six of Jersey Stories, and we're here with former Toronto Maple Leaf and St. John's Maple Leaf, Jason Podol. And Jason, thanks for taking the time to join us.
0: Hey, Nick, man. Pleasure to pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on.
1: It's uh, it's pretty neat that we were able to kind of have chats like this in this day and age, considering we live across the country from each other and working out time zone differences and stuff like that. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your time with the Leafs, talk about your time with St. John's, and talk about uh, your new series too that's been going on for a little while uh, up my hockey but first of all let's uh, let's talk about just hockey in general and something we ask our, all of our guests right off the bat how did you get into the sport
0: that's a great question I'm not really sure if like my memory my memory doesn't serve me uh, you know as far as when my first time on skates was it's it's more what my mom and dad said and I think that they had me out there really young like pre kind of 5 years old maybe around 3 and and I and I wasn't having it it was I stormed off the ice and I guess they they brought me back at around 5 or, or 6 I think around 5 and uh and I liked it that was when I I fell in love too with the the Canucks that year that winter with their with their Stanley Cup run so I I wasn't a very good skater by all accounts I guess who is when they start but uh, I would I would drag myself down the edge of the boards i guess and stand in front of the net and and pretend to be a goalie because i couldn't skate so that was my that was my introduction at early age and um and yeah i fell in love with the canucks and hockey in general and i think from there it was just sort of what we what we did in the summer i mean in the winter
1: so it was that 82 cup run though you're talking about uh, against the islanders there that that uh, really captured you as a canucks fan right
0: yeah and as a hockey fan i think in general you know there uh, we were there was two channels i think in our house growing up right and one was cbc and so hockey night in canada was the thing and and uh during the playoffs i mean i guess a lot of canadian families we were we were watching uh hockey you know my my dad i think liked it my mom my mom was uh was also a fan and and yeah we we being from bc we we saw the we saw that flying v right going going a long way and i fell in love with uh Tiger Williams was my guy and a couple other guys and King Richard was hard not to like. And yeah, I was six. I just sat in front of the TV and just sort of really fell in love with the sport. I think at that age at six, it was a really, I I remember a lot of those games uh, and I I remember kind of living and dying with them. So that was a, that was a fun introduction. So did your,
1: your mom and dad, did they latch on to the Canucks uh, when they came into the league in 1970? Was there kind of immediate love affair to finally have an NHL team nearby?
0: Well, they were both from the Prairies originally. My mom was from Alberta and my dad was from uh, Regina or not really Regina, but you know, a small town close. in Saskatchewan that was, that was relatively close. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, you'd have to ask them that question. I mean, they they were in BC and, you know, doing their thing and, you know, raising a young guy and trying to make ends meet. And I think that uh, I, I'm sure they, they probably fell in love with him to, with, along with the rest of the, pro- uh, with the rest of the province.
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, fans out in BC wanted a team uh, for so long. And then there are so many uh, neat personalities that ended up coming on with those Canucks teams in the, in the seventies and eighties. You mentioned uh, Tiger Williams, King Richard Brodeur. And not only did they have interesting personalities, but interesting jerseys as well. Cause you had a, a blue and green scheme of the early on with the stick. You had the flying V then the flying skate with the kind of same color scheme as the flying V. What's your favorite Canucks jersey though of all time?
0: That's a great question. Um, I kind of like the, uh, I like the skate kind of, yeah. I I didn't, I didn't mind that jersey at all. I like that color combination because it was, it was true to what I grew up with, with the V, you know, I don't think yeah. anyone, yeah. I, I do have a V jersey that my, one of my younger sons still wears that I wore kind of through that run. So cool. a completely authentic, uh, scenario. So, I mean, I, I like it for that reason, but I think that evolution into that next step was, uh, keeping those, that kind of that old. Yellow and I mean that gold and red and orange kind of combo and black. I thought I I kind of like that, but you I mean I think they look good now. I mean they've evolved, but they've definitely been all over the map, haven't they? They really have, and I'm a yeah. sucker kind of
1: for uh alternate those those third jerseys in the mid '90s. There were some weird ones, and I think one of my favorites is that Vancouver one with the flying skate, and it's like the diagonal where it's got the red on top and the black on the bottom. Some people eh, kind of iffy, but I love it. I think it's one of my favorites. Um, but then again, I, I love all sorts of jerseys. Kind of the more random they are, the more, the more I love them. But so you end up as a little guy. Uh, you don't end up uh, liking hockey your first time, but uh, you get into it. And like, how did that kind of evolve? where to the point where you're, you know, one of the top scorers in the WHL was Spokane. How did that kind of go through from the ages of five to your teen years?
0: Well, I mean, I think I, I was a, I was a pretty good athlete. I mean, uh, I, I guess. So once I, once I got it, you know, like once you get it and you get through that learning curve and that comfort zone, I ended up being good at it. So, you I mean, once you get good at it and then you also have a passion for it, you know, those two things kind of go hand in hand quite nicely. So by the time I was, mean eight i was probably starting to separate myself a little bit at least in the local community you know playing up a league and levels and you know performing with kids two years and older than you and and that type of stuff so that was that was when it was like i I could realize myself on a personal level that hey i'm pretty good at this you know and this is and i really like this and this is something that i want to do so from there it was just kind of the progression I, i i kept developing relatively fast i also was a grew fast so i was a kid that got bigger uh, quicker so obviously minor hockey that definitely helps i had a physical advantage and kind of a skill advantage so yeah i was kind i was i was one of those guys that you were reading about in the paper when they were 13 years old you know scoring all kinds of goals and it's going to be the next kind of greatest thing you know and uh uh, and yeah so that was kind of the, the the journey for, for me, I got listed from Spoke by Spokane at 13 years old. That was before they had the, the WHL draft the WHL draft came in like just after, um, yeah. kind of, uh, for my age group. And, uh, so there was, I was one of the last three guys to be uh, listed as a 13 year old on my birthday. And so there's me, Jeff Friesen and, um, Travis Clayton was the other guy that, uh, that were listed before that came into place. So we weren't a part of that, that first draft that came in. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I was going to be a Spokane Chief. You know, I, I, was, I was jacked to be, to be with them. So from like 13, I couldn't play with them until I was 16. So I had three years to kind of dream about that and think about that. And, um, and yeah, I ended up, my travels took me out to Penticton to play with the Panthers and Paul Correa. Before that, I was in Sherwood Park. We left Vernon and went to Sherwood Park to play uh, in that amazing Bantam League out there with the Sherwood Park Flyers. Um, I think there was five NHL players that came out of that team that, we, that I played on. Uh, a lot of friendships from that team still and you know and then the year after I ended up playing in Spokane for 4 years and it was just kind of really sort of at that point it was kind of all part of the plan you know everything was just sort of falling into place and you know me being in that league at 16 was kind of what I was told I was supposed to do and is what I did and you know and the success that I had there and playing uh, on the national team and stuff was under 17 and then on the world juniors it was you know, that was kind of the thing, you know, it was, uh, it, I didn't really run into big obstacles until pro and the NHL level of like, you know, trying to get through that door. But, uh, the, the early youth years were uh, lots of goals and lots of wins and, and lots of fun. When you're around that age of 12, 13,
1: and you said you started hearing, uh, you know, and reading your name in the paper and stuff like that. And, you know, you've got, uh, you had a significant amount of time between the time when you were first listed by the chiefs and by the time you first started playing, uh, how did you? And I guess this is good advice for younger players. How did you kind of keep a level head and not let that? Hey, check that. Check that out. That's my. That's me. That's my name in the paper. I could kind of be like a a hockey celebrity one day. How do you stay level headed?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Man, I, I don't know if I did. I, I don't think. I think I, I was definitely. I had some swagger to me. Some people maybe say I was cocky, you know, it depends on who you, you know, who you would ask probably, but I was a confident kid growing up for sure. Like when it came to hockey, I was confident when it came to, you know, school, I was confident. So, you know, success kind of breeds that a little bit. You mean, now I I understand more so like how valuable being humble and grateful is, you know, like those two things, humility is an amazing trait for anybody. And, uh, and, You know, and having those conversations and practicing that you I mean on the daily is uh are are two key components I mean because it's also gonna make you better right the more humble and the more he, uh humility you have the like the more you're gonna practice, the more you're gonna understand that you, there's room to grow so um so yeah, I mean f- from that perspective, I was just a teenage kid doing my thing, you know like i wasn't uh i think just my personality I didn't get too high too low, you know I think that that was part of part of the DNA that you sort of had to have at that time. There wasn't many people talking to you or, you know, talking about mental health or worried if you were getting sitting on the bench or whatever, like you had to deal with that stuff on your own. And I think the personality types that were really roller coaster didn't do well in that environment. So I think I was naturally disposed kind of to be able to handle that relatively well, but there was definitely more I could have done. um, Like I said, with, with that idea of like just really being grateful and authentically appreciative of what opportunities you have, you know, what's in front of you. Uh, how you got to where you were, that type of stuff. And, you know, again, this is being spoken by a 44-year-old man. You know, it's tough It's tough to do those things on your own when you're 16, 17 years old. Do you find, because, uh, you know, you have a couple of younger
1: guys uh, uh, growing up and, and playing the game right now, but do you find uh, just kind of being still around the game with uh, uh, younger individuals, do you find that it's a little bit better now in terms of helping them through the psychological aspect of the game?
0: I mean, I think that's where the game's heading. You mean, it, it all depends on who's behind your bench, right? Or what organization you're in or association for that matter. You know, I, I know that's one of my biggest things is like understanding the person behind the player is what I say a lot, you know, but that's back huge. in the day, it was just all about the player. Right. And I think the person is a massively big uh, component to that because you need to develop that trust and that understanding within that player, whether they're eight years old or whether they're 18 years old or 28 years old, you know, and I think. That's where that's where the coaches that are really getting it and being successful right now. I think that's those are the ones that are incorporating that type of aspect. You know, what uh, what is this human being all about? What makes them tick? Um, how do I get the most out of them in a high performance level on the ice um, by talking about things away from the rink? I mean, life skills, you know, uh, character traits, these types of things that can really you know open up that individual for maybe performance measures or levels that they they weren't aware they were capable of. And I say that's key too for for fans because they see
1: player on the television. I've said this before in, in past episodes. They see whoever that player is, player A, and that's it. They just see that person on TV. They don't really get to understand a lot about uh, who that player really is. So I think that's a key aspect too for a fan to understand that there's still a person uh, behind that player. So when it came time to get uh, came time to get drafted. Um, What was it like, the conversations that you had with with teams? Because I know they go real in-depth now, real in-depth when you're about to get drafted. What was it like uh, in 1994, in that that spring, uh, when you were uh, about to get drafted? What was that like when you were were talking to teams, or did you only talk to the Maple Leafs?
0: No, I mean, I got drafted by Florida, right? So, I mean, I... Chatted with them. My draft was in was in Hartford, so even leading up to that draft, we we still had the NHL Combine, I guess it was called. So we'd go for uh, central scouting testing. Can't even remember where mine was to be honest. But I mean, even previous to that, like flowing out, flowing out to San Jose, flowing out to Washington, flowing out to Tampa. I think like I, I it was it was kind of a blur. I mean, like really, like there was there was so much going on. Uh, you know, being a potential first rounder. Uh, you know a lot of a lot of people had a lot of questions and plus my draft year I mean I I can't speak for everybody but my draft year was pretty tumultuous like it wasn't really what I had in mind for a draft year and um, and because of the maybe not the huge success you might still had a 30 goal season right but it wasn't a 50 goal season which I think what most people were were thinking they were going to get out of me so then there was like question marks on that so I think there was a kind of a little bit of a spotlight on me with, you know, what happened? What's the reason? You know, is he spoiled? Is he uncoachable? Is he, was it a bad uh, situation with the coach? You know what I mean? Like whatever that case may be, I think people were trying to figure out what that was. Um, and then when we were in Hartford, yeah, I mean, all the teams that yeah, they set him up with your agent. I mean, I, I don't know how many teams I met with. It was almost all of them though. I think like probably between 15 and 25, probably meetings if I remember correctly. And And you just go around and yeah, those are really crazy i mean for the for the kids that are stepping into that it it's uh it's a pretty big deal because you're you know you're eighteen years old you're sitting in front of a group of men sometimes like a big group of men you know and you're sitting in the middle of the circle and they're firing questions at you and and a lot of times it's not a it's not a friendly environment it's a pretty hostile place it can be right so they're putting you on the spot and they want to see what you're made out of and you know and and again and I guess rightfully so but i mean you don't have your agent in there it's not like you have a lawyer or your dad or your mom or anybody right you're in there alone and like I said, sometimes it's a group of guys, sometimes it's the GM, sometimes it's uh, you know, their head scout, like whatever the case may be. So I went through the through the ringer with that, and I could instantly tell, like getting a little historical on my own career, but there was a my coach, my drafter was Brian Maxwell, and he was a pretty divisive figure in and of himself, um, and had kind of a loyal a loyal following and also some really loyal critics as well, right? So yeah. his critics were much warmer meetings for me, right? And I could tell who that was, interestingly. And and his loyal followers were really critical of me in the uh, in the meeting. So there was a interesting divide when it came to that when it came to the meeting time. But uh, you know, fast forward to your to your question about the Leafs, which is probably interesting for, uh, for your listeners. Is uh, my last meeting of the entire draft was was with Toronto. And again, you don't know what you're walking into, right? When you have a, it's like you're meeting at 3.30 at room whatever, and you show up at the hotel. It's almost like a blind
1: date, right? Yeah, 100% it
0: is. Yeah. You don't know, you don't know what it is you're you're getting into. Whether they like you, they don't like you, how many people are in there. And and this one happened to be just Cliff Fletcher and it happened to be his, it seemed like his personal hotel room, um, which kind of almost sounds a little creepy in a way. (laughs) um, And I'm sure they wouldn't do that now, you know, just for optics. But I mean, I think it was his hotel room and it was him and it was just me shook my hand like you know anyone who's who's uh you know a a leaf fan knows what cliff was like he was you know super warm and you know inviting and engaging and almost like uh you know like a grandfather almost like he was just it was just kind of had that yeah yeah he really made me feel comfortable and uh just asked me how my experience had been so far briefly asked me about the season and, and again this was the first time that I was like a one-on-one with the GM like some of those meetings sometimes the GMs aren't even in there you know in some scenarios and so it was just him no scouts no nothing and uh, he ended up cutting he goes Jason I'm going to cut to the chase we're uh, we're going to take you with our first pick tomorrow uh, and then he also went on to say he's like we draft I think it was 18 or something he said we drafted yeah, 18 I'm... we don't think we're going to get you there so I'm going to make a trade early uh, we're going to trade up and we're going to make sure that uh, you're wearing a maple leaf sweater tomorrow and uh, you know, congratulations essentially. Right. And I was like,
1: yeah, like, Holy yeah. crap. No.
0: Yeah. Blown yeah. away. Right. Blown. Absolutely blown away. I came out, I told Mike Barnett, who was my agent at the time, you know, kind of what was, what was said. And, and he's like, Holy shit. You know, like he actually told you that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, man. And so it was like really wild and it was like an awesome way to finish those meetings off. Cause like I said, some of them were good. Some of them weren't so good. You know, yeah. sometimes you leave defeated and, anyway so this this uh this amazing guy by the name of cliff fletcher who happened to be the gm of an original six team um told me that he i was his guy and i was going to be a first rounder and uh and i went to bed that night real happy and then the next day uh draft time came around and everything was coming as planned they toronto well maybe they they made that big deal at the start of the day yeah uh that sundin uh clark deal which was huge and then they ended up trading up to get number 10 which was you know now i'm losing my mind because i'm like oh my god even after that year i'm going to be a top 10 uh pick right like super great they ended up making another trade to 15 uh and then they go up well actually uh, it sounds like almost too real but like for F- it legitimately happened that you know they have the microphones on the table the draft yeah. table like and they do their talking or whatever so we're in this arena that's like i don't know if it was sold out but there's people everywhere and it's bustling and it's toronto's pick they just made it the trade and they're taking like their kind of their sweet time like it's 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 taking a while for them to go up to the podium and their microphone clicks off like inadvertently at, at some point and my name for like the second and a half that the microphone is on gets said over the loudspeaker, Jason Panola, right? And so like my agent looks at me and like hits me in the leg. And so now we're like, I mean, even more convinced that like I'm getting drafted by the Florida, I mean, by the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Anyway, so Cliff walks up there with his group and uh, they said they, with a, they select Eric Fischo from the front necks or wherever he was from. And my heart just sank. Right. Because I mean, why wouldn't it, I mean, I I was supposed to go there. He told me to my face, he was going to take me, everything had happened up to that point, except my name being called over the microphone. And anyway, so it was a long ride from like, whenever that was 15 to 31, when I got taken, you know, it was maybe a couple hours seemed like 20 days uh, for for me at that, at that space. And anyways, we got, I mean, obviously got taken by Florida and you know, looking back, of course, grateful, and what is still an amazing thing to do. Uh, but it wasn't what the expectation was. And and there's a big thing around expectation with anything, right? Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I was leaving. As I was leaving the draft floor, I mean, Cliff and I locked eyes. Um, he came over, you know, the gentleman that he is uh, and the professional that he is, put his arm around me. He apologized, and he – he mentioned that uh, their pro scout had died of a heart attack. Like, I don't think it was the night before exactly, but I think it was like a couple days earlier. It was close, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, and he said you know, we kind of sentiment, uh, sentimentality kicked in, and uh, and he said we decided like Fichot was his guy, and we decided at the last minute to, to take his guy in honor of him. And I'm so sorry that I said that to you yesterday, and I, you know, whatever. I mean, best of luck with your career. So kind of crazy right like the could, to imagine that that could happen on the draft floor right and i could i mean i don't know how much it changed my career per se but like yeah. it had an impact 100 percent you know had an impact on the money had an impact on maybe opportunity uh had an impact on a lot of things but uh yeah you know, i mean at the end of the day i mean it's kind of ironic because full circle cliff ends up trading for me three years later you know for cliff uh, for uh, kirk muller size so he still had a soft spot for me and then unfortunately for me he got fired that summer but uh you know so it goes that's one of the one of the wilder draft day stories that uh that i could tell you pretty crazy too that 94 draft because when you when you
1: think about it what went on with the maple leafs that day like you said mats gets uh, acquired for wendell in that big trade with quebec but there had been rumors for a long time that cliff was really really uh set on taking brett lindros as well and he, he had fallen in love with him and then they end up going with Fichaud when pierre Dorion senior passes away the, father of the current general manager of the auto senators yeah. and they take fee showed, but they already had pot van. And it's, it's crazy uh, how that ends up working out. And then for someone like you, who was told we're going to take you in the first round and then you have to sit there throughout the first round. And like you said, you go in the second round. How do you just try and stay calm when you're sitting there going, Oh crap, it's, they passed on me. Now we're getting late into the first round. Now the first round is over. How the how did the heck did you just stay calm during that lead?
0: Well, I mean, I mean, when, when the doors closed that night, I mean, I was crying like a baby, I'll be honest. You know, like it was that was a hard day for me, really hard day with the expectations built up and thinking you might go top 10 and, you know, trying to come to terms at that age with like the fact that somebody passing away it somehow impacted, you know, my draft position and then kind of the timeliness of that. And, you know, but like all things, it passes, you know, like being in the crowd, it was, you know, it was hard, but it was, you're mad. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what, kind, I mean, there's a lot of emotions going on. Right. And you, in every pick you kind of just get sitting lower in your seat because it's like, well, you don't know what's going to happen now. Right. And it yeah. kind of just seems like it's going on forever. So, I mean, I regret the way I handled that. It kind of sounds pouty now. Um, but I think it's just being human. You know, like I said, like your expectation is one thing. If, if I would have expected to go 51 and I went 31 you know I mean obviously you'd be elated with the number I don't think the number is really that big of an impact it's more or less like where you thought things were going to happen right and uh and because it was it was such a big disparity from what I thought and you know going from Toronto's first pick to Florida's third right like they took Ed Jovanovsky first they took Rhett Warner 26 then me 31 um that's just a different place in the pecking order too right you know like the the whole the whole scenario kind of changed pretty dramatically but Again, I mean, a couple of days later you're over it and I mean, the draft is just one day and then you do what you do with it, you know, but that day itself wasn't as jubilant as, as maybe it might've been. <laughs> yeah. But the crazy thing is, you just said that,
1: uh, is it weird to kind of be labeled as a number when you're going into organization? Like with the Panthers, they see, okay, Ed's, Ed's our number one guy. We invested a lot into him. He's, he's the top of the the, the chain and the pecking order in our cupboard for our, our prospects then you have red at 26 and then do you get looked at differently when you're a second round pick or a third round pick is is that really true when say you go to camp and they say okay well he was a second rounder does that kind of get in the, the mind of both the player and the team a little bit
0: I mean again I think I think different organizations all handle that a little bit differently uh, but I do people will be lying if they say that it doesn't impact you know like you don't look good as an organization if your first if your first round pick doesn't make it right so like th- there's an optics with that right so like right. The, the farther down you go the less you have invested on them in, on an individual level doing well of course you want guys to do well within your organization but you're not necessarily going out of your way for them right if you're a ninth rounder and you play re- ridiculously well in camp and you're doing great in the minors. You can definitely, I mean, it happens all the time that yeah. guys work their way in the NHL, but you've seen it time and time again, where a first rounder will get five games. They'll get 25 games. They'll maybe get a whole season. Maybe they'll get traded and get another full season. You know, like there's, there's uh, there's longevity that comes from that draft and, and it comes with chances too. So I think th- there is a reality to that, you know, um, in Florida I don't know I mean I felt like they traded me great you know I was their first forward take in that draft um, you know that that was helpful too you know they were a young organization so they didn't have a lot of draft picks in the system which was also helpful uh, but you know without question it, it would be it would be more advantageous to be Toronto's 15th pick overall first round their first pick as opposed to being you know 31 in Florida's third pick you know it's just but, it's kind of the way it goes
1: yeah and that, that, that's the reality of it I guess. Mm but you do end up coming to Toronto a couple of years later. It's now March, 1997. You get straight uh, traded straight up for Kirk Muller. Uh, You come here and what was it like though, joining the Leafs core that was kind of on its way out. Dougie had just been traded along with Dave Ellett to New Jersey. Wendell was back for a second turn, but a lot of those guys from the 93 and 94 runs were gone. So what was it kind of like coming into that, that room in the spring of 97?
0: For me, I was oblivious to all that, to be honest, because I wasn't a Leaf fan growing up and even like the more I got into the, excuse me, the more I was into junior hockey and doing your own thing, like it's really hard to, at least for me to be a fan of the NHL. Like I didn't really know what was really going on in a lot of scenarios. Right. And you're more tied into your own organization at that point. So me understanding the life cycle of some guys in that team, you know, I really didn't know, you know, I, I just knew that when I got there, obviously they, they weren't a playoff team. You know, I knew that they had some really cool names like Matt Sundin and Curtis Joseph and Wendell Clark. Uh, that was kind of pretty mind blowing for me to be in that room with. Uh, so that was, that was cool, but it was, I mean, I've spoken about it a few times, like that trade was, I mean, completely mind blowing for me. You know, it was—I'd never been traded in Spokane. I mean, in junior, right? So four years in one team. To that point, I'd been, you know, three or four years with the Florida Panther organization. Uh, for me, it was like, oh, I'm going to be—I'm going to retire in, as a Florida Panther with a thousand games in the NHL, and that, thats <laughs> kind of what I—what I thought, you know. And uh, and kind of it was sort of working out that way in its weird way. I mean, I was a rookie; it was my first year pro. You know, I'd already played. I think 29 games or something like that in 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 Florida. They had just sent me down uh, with great messaging too. You know, like hey, just go down there. Like we're in a we're in a run. You're part of this organization. You know, I was a point of game guy down in the minors. I mean, as a 20 year old, which is really hard to do. So I was producing mm-hmm. down there and scoring. Uh, and they said, yeah, I mean, you'll be back if it's not this year. Like I mean, like next year. We're just making a run right now, and that was kind of like the message. So I went down uh i think i was down like for like a week at that point i was in bed asleep for a game and so i'm in the minors in greensboro north carolina in the minors right and get a phone call on trade deadline day like i didn't even know it was the trade deadline day right completely (laughs) oblivious had no idea that it was i could get traded or would get traded and then i get traded for a name like muller and then to a team like the leafs and uh, like legitimately in three hours i've you know i was on a plane and never saw those guys again never saw you know my car like my stuff like and then i'm in a town I've never been to with players. I've never met with coaches. I've never met, you know, it was completely wild, right. Uh, on a lot of levels. And then the magnitude of being a leaf was also very, very palatable when I got there, you know, it was, it was not hard to see that this was a big trade for the Leafs. It was not hard to see that the Leafs are a massively big deal. And, uh, and yeah, the guys were good. You know I mean like my initial, what I, if, if I have, if, i mean and that's kind of we already talked about coaching like mike murphy was there Mike kitchen uh they were they were nice but it wasn't like i never felt like they wanted me to excel or succeed you know like it was more like we're gonna put you out there and see what happens you know and and there's there's a different kind of feel about that you know and uh and that's where I see like the coaching is now different and now me being a coach even like I, I wish I would have had like a little bit some deeper conversations and or even like a little bit more understanding of like you know I was scared you know I was scared and in, in a lot of in a lot of situations like scared to like not be liked by my teammates scared to fit in scared to how do I be an NHLer in this new environment that I've never been in before and uh you know, and I think, I, I think with some help, I could have got through that, like understanding that, Hey, you know, like they got my back. If I make a mistake out here, I'm going to get out there again. You know, Like I'm a part of the future kind of deal. Right. It was more, yeah. I never really felt that. And I, and I wasn't prepared. I didn't have the toolkit to really get through that on my own and just say, screw it. Here it is. I'm, I'm giving her, you know? So, yeah. Um, so yeah. And that was kind of the feeling I always, I got in Toronto the entire time and I've talked to other prospects and they kind of said the same thing. And I, I I think that was kind of that part of that era where it was it was sort of a sink or swim like either you get it right now or you don't and we're not really trying to hold your hand through any of it you know like you're now a pro and you got to do it on your own I'm all about accountability and I mean I would I'm not pointing fingers at all like I think you're responsible for your own journey but uh, the environment does matter. You know I mean, it matters to certain guys at different times too, right? You know I mean, who, who they feel is in your in your corner, in your corner, and and at that point, I was I was a little bit more fragile than maybe I should have been, and I think I, I think I could have I, I would have liked to have tried that scenario again, just sort of feeling like I could exhale and you know saying like, hey man, go go out and give me your best. You know, we we want to see what you're all about.
1: Yeah, and. Uh... Some people might not know this, but it, its I guess it's kind of typical from what I've learned for if a player has a, a pro has a concern or something like that with how they're being used on the ice. Typically, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but you'll probably go to an assistant coach first and the assistant's kind of like the the, the middle ground between the player and head coach sometimes and then the assistant goes to the head. So what would you think if you, if you go back to 1997, uh, 98 around that time? If you had gone to my kitchen, what would you would have said if you had been in that mindset to be like, Hey, you know what? Uh, I, I kind of just want to talk. What would
0: you have said to him? Well, I think that's the issue. And I think that's part of the stigma. You know what I mean? It is what the issue is. And I think that's when you talk about team culture and you talk about like inclusivity and that type of aspect, like I would never have had that conversation, which is why I didn't. Mm-hmm. because you know, being new to an environment, they don't know me. I don't know them. You mean, they just traded a big, they're assistant captain for me. Like I'm trying to be like gladiator, right? I'm trying to be like stoic. I'm trying to be strong. Like nothing's bothering me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to be here. I fit in. Like that's the kind of, that's the way I wanted to portray. So for me to walk in there and be like, Hey, you know, kitsch, I'm scared shitless right now, man. (laughs) Like I just like that wouldn't have came out of my mouth, but it might have if they were asking me. Right. You know what I mean? Like saying, hey, kid, like this is a big deal. We know this is a big deal, right? Like you must be like, I understand this is a new staff, right? I understand there's new players here. You're just trying to get your foot in the door. Like this is how I think you're going to be a great pro, right? And I want you, you know, like if if it was like that sort of a, a dialogue, then I think you're going to start to get the human side out of the out of the player, you know, and talk about stuff that that can that can help them, right? That that is going to make them better. And and me, obviously, like the the full circle side of that is, I mean, you're helping me but you're also helping your team because i'm an asset for the team so i mean it it, it you know you want the best out of the pe- people that are a part of your organization so you would
1: think right like that yeah. right.
0: And and to kind of i mean i i say that you know, rhetorically but it is kind of weird because it, in a lot of environments it didn't honestly seem like that right it was like you know it, it didn't yeah it didn't seem like on an individual basis you are trying to figure out how to maximize this person's potential it was more like there might be somebody in the queue that we can just plug and play you know and hopefully this guy might fit better uh which is i guess just a real side of sports and professional sports too but you I mean uh, different organizations do handle that kind of aspect differently like detroit was amazing for years with that right like being yeah. able to bring guys up and actually turn them into players right like the the environment there was conducive to them doing that and uh yeah anyways you I mean it, it is what it is but that was to do it again. And now like knowing what I do now with helping young players, like I know that those conversations matter and they matter to different people at different times and uh, all athletes, whether you're young or, or old, like they need that outlet. They need someone in their corner. If it happens to be your coach. Amazing. Or an assistant coach. Amazing. But at least you need somebody in there to be able to bounce some stuff off. And uh, at the time, I mean, I'm saying like the Leafs organization, maybe should add somebody there, but I didn't really, my mom and dad were absolutely amazing, but they weren't people that I was going to talk to about that. You know, I didn't have any, yeah there was nobody kind of in the corner that I was, my agent wasn't really there for that kind of stuff. So I did feel like I was a bit on an Island and I owned that stuff and I just tried to figure it out. And unfortunately at for that 10 games with the Leafs and the initial time of my trade, I didn't think I was that bad per se, but I just wasn't as good as I could have been. Right. And that turned into be like the stage, right. That was the stage that I was on. And I think that was the judging
1: point. Yeah.
0: Well, kind of, yeah. Cause Mike Johnson came in at the same time. And I, I mean, Johnny and I, I mean, are, I mean, I would call us friends. You may, know, we don't talk all the time, but like we were similar age, similar style player uh and he performed a little bit better in that stretch and then he was there like the next year he was there and i was kind of a little bit i wasn't quite as good and then when when the uh, changing of the guard came with uh, mike smith it was i made it too easy for him to be able to get away with sending me banishing me to the minors you know like if that 10 games was a little more solid then there would have been no need for him to do that or he wouldn't even be able to do it necessarily right so i mean that's the game the way the game works uh and I get that now, but I mean that those 10 games were pretty important for me to, to make a big splash. And I didn't.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I remember uh, going back and looking, looking at it that end of that 96, 97 season, uh, you and Mike Johnson, Brandon Convery, uh, DJ Smith uh, getting, getting some looks there. And right. Mike was kind of the one who lasted into the 97, 98 season when the regime changed and, and Cliff Fletcher was gone and Ken Dryden and, and Mike Smith came in and, so that's a, a very strange that once 97, 98 season, because it almost seems like you, you really don't know who was in charge of, of making the player personnel decisions that year, but you spent the year in St. John's get two really good years in St. John's It's 72 goals combined. Uh, so when you were traded, when, when Mike Smith traded you in 99, did you feel any anger or angst being like, I just scored 72 goals in the, in the AHL Were you, were you pissed off?
0: Um, I was thankful when I got traded, I think would be a better word at that. But I mean, the two years there, I mean, it was, it's tough, right? Because you're in a place you don't want to be, but you like being there at the same time. Right. I was in St. John's, Newfoundland. I wanted to be in Toronto, but I was having an absolute blast there. I loved the people there. I still, it's one of my favorite places I played. Uh, the teammates were great. I mean, I was playing with either Brandon Convery or Lonnie Bahanis. Usually I was like top line, right wing, um, getting quite a bit of ice time and being and producing, you know, like, so so you're really torn in that environment because, yeah, you're asking yourself, like, what the hell is going on? Like, imagine that right now. I mean, just fast forward that to this past season. If you had somebody who was 21 years old leading the AHL in goals and you weren't in the playoffs and the big club, you're telling me that kid wouldn't get a chance?
1: Absolutely not. Like, well, that's I mean, to me. It'd be impossible. It wouldn't yeah, happen anymore, you, right? Yeah, like, it would not
0: happen. The media would be all over it. Like, why isn't this guy up? Like, what's going on? Give him a chance. You mean, so, like, it was, it was strange that I mean, it was strange on a lot of levels because again, I was supposed to be a prospect, right? I was a guy. I was a guy that they had traded somebody big for that they were supposed to be developing and like, you know, wanting to be on the big club. And it be, kind of became obvious for anyone that I just wasn't a part of that plan. And who knows why, right? Because because yeah. uh, there was just no games. You know, even that first that first training camp when I came back after that ten game audition that I told you but I was told to go back home and get in shape. I mean, which again, I'm kind of eyeball roll on my head because I was never out of shape ever mm. I mean that was one of the biggest things that I had but he said you know go home and get in shape uh was was the message from Mike Murphy I came back to camp that year I was I won second out of the 60 guys at camp overall Todd Warner took first and I took second I won to play playstation I remember like I worked my ass <laughs> off all summer and um and had an amazing camp like it, like the in scrimmage camp I was like really solid and then they sent me down before we even had any exhibition games like it was wild right so when I go down to the I go down to the farm, and I had three hat tricks in my first four games. I was leading the AHL in points, and I mean, never made, I don't even think I got a call up that year. You know, it was like that's when you sort of are like it's really hard. You know, I mean, that's the mental side of the game that's tough, right? Because yeah. you you feel you're doing the right things, you feel you're you're getting the results, you're not getting the uh, the response that you want from those in charge. Uh, yet you still need to you know keep your nose to the grindstone and and give her so. You know, for whatever reason, yeah, that didn't work out. Uh, ended up getting traded uh, to. Well, and I should say though, I mean, that was a weird time for the Leafs because they weren't really they weren't producing anyone. Like, I mean, Brandon Convery was like a hell of a hockey player that they couldn't get. You know, the, uh, Jeff Ware was their other first rounder that you I mean they couldn't really get much out of. The guys that came up was like Thomas Caberlet, um Who else came? Up? Danny Markov came up Danny out Markoff, of that system, yeah. but it wasn't like a. I mean, they just sort of they played there for half a season and they brought them up and it was like, okay, they they stuck. I mean, it wasn't like a real development thing. I remember bill waters coming out there sporadically. And I think that was the biggest problem with, with St. John's is that they just, no one was watching. Yeah. You know, like it was a hard place to watch, you know, it was a hard place to get to and you felt really disconnected. And I think that the, the minor league system was disconnected from it too. You know, it was, it was hard to call guys up and, and there was just sort of different scenarios there where it just sort of never worked out for, for a few guys there. Even Lonnie Bahanis, like him coming up that playoff year and like, yeah, 99, yeah. Winning the second round for you guys, like he was unbelievable. He was, yes. It doesn't get re signed and kind of disappears. And, you I mean, hockey's a funny thing. But, anyways, so that's so it goes. I ended up going to LA and things didn't go a whole lot better for me there. Um, almost it's kind of the same scenario. The coach ended up getting fired and a new coach came in and, uh, ended up grabbing Brad Chartrand who was my teammate in St. John's um, and sort of turned him into an NHLer and whatever you I mean that's that's the way it goes it was it was a hell of a ride let me tell you that so
1: after the the trade of the Kings and you're and you're going through the AHL and you're going through the IHL for those next couple of years uh before you ended up heading to Mannheim and going to play in Germany again how do you keep going through that grind that you were talking about when you're still playing and you're, and you're hoping to just get that call up to get that another chance. Uh, how do you, how did you keep going through that grind?
0: Well, it was interesting because I ended up, I kind of felt like I was getting worse, to be honest, like as a player, like I, you know, I came up as a rookie was over a point of game. in The AHL ended up, you know, leading the league in goals there at one point, uh, ended up going to Lowell uh, with, with LA led that team in goals and points and then the next year came back when it was uh when I got taken off waivers by Tampa and ended up being in Detroit and that was a year that like, I was like okay I'm taking this super serious because it was like you know my, that was my fourth year pro you know like not really getting a shake and kind of really needed to do something different and that team was just awful like we were horrendous that year it was it was crazy how bad we were Tampa's farm system was was not good uh, the older players there weren't good uh it was it was rough. It was the worst team I've ever played on in pro. I mean, Scotty Nickel was there, who's still a good buddy of mine now, assistant GM of the Nashville Predators. He, he ended up leaving that team after seven years in the minors and making the Calgary Flames the next year. I think yeah. he's the only one that ended up doing something, and it was amazing that he was able to accomplish that. But I just remember, like, feeling like I wasn't getting any better, you know? Like, I was kind of turning into a different player. I was now blocking shots on the penalty kill, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with blocking shots in the penalty no. kill, but I was, I was sort of evolving in a different way. Uh, went to Winnipeg was an was okay there went to Bridgeport was okay there and I kind of just I don't know I was losing something on the passion side I think and I was also like starting to treat it more like a profession like a monotonous job as opposed to something that you're really excited about doing Uh, and I think I got worse like I do think I got worse like I wasn't you know I wasn't doing the the extra at that point, I wasn't, you know, stepping into some of these opportunities maybe I had. And that was when I had the idea of going to Germany. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go there. I'm going to fall in love with the game again. I'm going to reinvent myself. Uh, you know, Bruce Boudreau in a recent uh, interview I had with him, he says, you know, at 2021, 20, you're a prospect and at 25, you're a suspect or 25, 26, you know, and yeah. that's kind of where I felt I was. I felt like I wasn't really given being given my shot at that point. I was kind of getting overlooked. So I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to come back. Guys were doing that. Uh, some somewhat successfully and I went there and I, and I, and it was kind of like true to my prophecy. Like I ended up playing, started off great there. i had like, I don't know, 12 goals in my first 14 games or something and having a lot of fun in Europe and uh, great guys. There It was good league, everything else. But I almost started too good because they offered me a contract extension, a two-year contract extension, like a month and a half in or two months in which they do. And they gave me a big raise and it was almost like making one way money in the NHL. And it was sort of uh it was a crossroads i mean to be honest right there it was like i knew that if i signed that i had security i wasn't going to get traded anymore i'd have been traded a ton i'd been all over north america i was kind of over that um i knew I, where i would be i knew i'd have an address i knew it would be a big part of the team i'd be financially secure but i was probably saying no to the nhl you know and uh and yeah i had to come to terms with that and and, and in that i was like you know what I guess this is good yeah maybe this is where I was supposed to be so I ended up signing that extension and played two years in Mannheim and uh yeah no regrets there I mean you never know it'd be interesting to maybe come back but I think uh you know I did try when I was 30 came back and tried out for the wings and it just didn't happen there again got hurt in camp I thought I was gonna have a great opportunity to make that team but you know the NHL just wasn't what I ended up wanting it to be but hockey was still amazing to me and you know being able to play and in in europe and in germany and experienced that that uh that country and that culture and i mean all the experiences over there it was like honest honestly so grateful and so blessed like everything that i saw with this game
1: is it something you'd
0: recommend to uh somebody who might be
1: in a similar situation they they may be playing in the ahl the echl and they've been traded a couple of times and they, they might have an offer and they're thinking about going over to Europe. It might be a bit of a culture shock, but would you recommend going over to Czech Republic or Germany or something like that to, to play as you do?
0: If it appeals to them. I mean, I'm, in, I'm a, i am i am consider myself a curious and adventurous kind of guy. I'm interested in a lot of stuff. I enjoy culture. Uh, you know, I went to Japan. I pulled myself out of, out of university to go to Japan when I got a contract offer after I kind of retired in air quotes the first time. Right. And it was more like, yeah, I mean, you kidding me? I'm going to go to Japan. Like yeah, you. okay. You know, like that would be fun, but you know, I would recommend it for that. I think like the hockey is good. They, they, you, you can get paid well in the right leagues. You get taken care of really well. Uh, it might not be an amazing career move if like the NHL is your ultimate goal. You know, I think like, the guys that stay there and it be are part of that system and are and you're more watched and you're more in people's faces. I mean, I think that's probably a wiser thing. But I mean, everyone recharges their batteries different. You know, I think that my original idea there of going over for a year at 26 was was actually pretty smart. You know, I mean, I think it was it was turning into what I wanted it to be. I was I was uh got back to the offensive side of the game, which I liked and and enjoyed and and started associating myself with a goal scorer and starting getting that confidence back, you know, and uh and yeah, I mean, who knows what would happen if I would have played the one year there and came back to an NHL training camp? You know, I mean, you never know. So I think yeah. it's it's not a bad idea either way, right? It's a it's a great way to get to travel and see the world and get paid for it. That's for sure.
1: For sure, that that's it. Sounds like an an amazing experience, and and just to have the stability because you mentioned the, the the trades and the waivers and stuff like that. What is it like to go through? the process of a trade I, I know if for anybody who's who's watching who's seen the movie uh <laughs> Moneyball, and Brad Pitt says to Jonah Hill's character he says no you just you just tell them straight up they're 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 pros they deal with it they have to do that and then go through the the trade of uh, I believe it's Pena in the movie is it similar to that is it I guess it maybe depends on where you are but what is it like to go through that multiple times
0: Well, it sucks. I mean, I I was thankful now. I mean, now I have three boys at home and a wife. Like I couldn't imagine doing that with a family. I I did every time I was single. You know, so every time I was single, it was just me. I had to worry about. I wasn't changing schools or having, you know, my wife picking up and finding a new network of friends and you know all that stuff. It was just me. And as soon as I got implanted in a new team, at least I had new friends and new buddies and a new ecosystem. You know, so. Definitely easiest on the player, but it's hell of a hard. It's hard. You know, like, it, like I said, it happens in it happens without you knowing and it happens in the span of like such a short timeframe that would blow normal people with normal, normal jobs mind, right? I mean, can you imagine getting called right now and saying you're leaving in two hours on a plane and you're going to live in Nebraska? And uh go find an apartment, I mean no. <laughs> you're, you're, you know what I mean like it, it's funny yeah. that a lot of people just you mean you don't even go there right on a normal level and like and a lot of people I really don 't think could handle it like i mean it's not it's not normal right and uh, and yeah, I, I got traded three times, and I got taken off waivers once, and that was all before I was twenty five right so uh, and all of them were like that I mean I said like the, the first one with Toronto it was a phone call uh, Florida it, it, that maybe was a three two minute phone call right like hi jason brian murray uh thanks for your time we just traded to toronto maple leafs uh best luck in your career click you know and it's like what like that's you know that's the extent of it you know and uh when i got taken off waivers i don't even think like the i don't even think dave taylor told me i think it was somebody else in in uh with the kings that told me like it's just it's really weird it's really uh you know it's not uh it's not empathetic. There's nothing empathetic about it. There's nothing. One of those sink you know, or swim
1: things again, right? Yeah,
0: it's just yeah. I mean, it's like you're a, yeah. You know, I mean, you're a pawn on a chessboard, and we just decided to move you. You know, so see you later, right? And uh, and I guess you know that. I mean, when you're in it, you know it. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think there's ways to improve that, and I have him even in my own podcast there, up my hockey. We, you know, I've covered that with guys, and and some guys in different organizations have felt that they got treated really right and and well in that scenario, you know, like even maybe notified before given time to prepare, you know, how do you want this to be really You know, it, 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 it can be handled differently for, for different, for different, uh, for different guys. And sometimes it's handled better than others, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Trades are a crazy thing and uh, to experience them is, well, it tests your mettle. And I mean, it's it's definitely made me stronger and it makes you adaptable and it makes you you know, resilient and all these things, but it's uh, definitely something that's, you know, you, I don't think you ever really prepare for or are prepared for necessarily.
1: It's, it's, uh, it is a crazy thing. Like you said, I couldn't imagine picking up the, the phone right now and somebody saying, uh, yeah, you know, we traded you to this other business in Idaho. It's like, uh, I, I don't really want to live in Idaho, but okay, I <laughs> guess I'm going to have to do that. Yeah, it's, sure. it's definitely a crazy thing. But uh, Jason, before we get to uh, your first item that you're going to, you're going to share with us. I have one last question for you. And if you go to Jason's hockey DB page, there's his headshot there with the Florida Panthers. And you look pretty angry or kind of surly in this picture. And I'm assuming this is something from media day or maybe with the Panthers when it comes to those pictures and how I can do that. Is this something players kind of just don't like to do?
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and you don't even know really when. Like, I don't know how HockeyDB got that picture, or even. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't have that picture. I've never seen that picture except for <laughs> HockeyDB, right? So, uh, you know, when you're in that environment and and in those in that ecosystem, you you are getting a lot of pictures at different times, and you don't know when they're coming. I think a little bit of it is a machoism persona at the time I mean you got to think in the 90s too right I mean it was a tough rough sport and you know so I think you were trying to project some type of toughness you know in those pictures so not necessarily that you're mean or 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 not you know or that maybe I was having a bad day I think that was more probably a calculated scenario if this is the picture that's in the program or the other team's going to see then this is this is how I want to be portrayed, you know, that uh, I don't, yeah, I don't have a big (laughs) smile on my face, you know, which, which now I would do that. Right. Because that's more, that's more natural. But anyways, that's probably where that came from. It was more me being a projection of who I thought I was supposed to be, as opposed to what I actually felt. Very interesting. Learn something new. I always wondered about that. It's like,
1: I wonder how they're, how they're doing that. There's any thought process going into (laughs) to pictures and stuff like that. But uh, Jason, thank you so much for that detailed Uh, history of your career right from Spokane uh, to Mannheim and I'm very curious to see what you've collected over those years so we're going to take a break and, and hear from one of our sponsors but coming up in just a sec Jason's first item we'll be right back
0: Hey there! Just want to say thank you as usual for tuning in. Hope you're enjoying this uh, conversation uh, between Nick and myself. Uh, I thought Nick did a really great job for his sixth episode of of just handling the interview and connecting it. I'm starting to get a greater appreciation for uh, the skill involved in in conducting an interview and and making it you know interesting and and conversational and seamless. And 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 if Nick, if you're listening, I I, I want to thank you for doing such a good job with that. I felt really comfortable throughout that interview. Um, In saying that, thank you guys for listening. Uh, the The podcast just continues to grow. It's crazy, like watching the episode downloads and and the listenership and the people that are writing me, uh, you know, thank yous and sharing me their stories of the difference that it's making for them uh, is really, really exciting and. I just, I can't say enough about, you know, you guys giving me the reason to keep going and understanding that this is actually making a difference for people and people find it uh, not only useful and entertaining, but uh, but you find it valuable. You know, kids kids are getting some solid messaging from this. Parents are are uh, learning to maybe reconnect with the game on a little different level. And and uh, yeah, I just love hearing that. So once again, thanks so much. The Jared Smithson episode really seemed to cross the boundaries between, you know, hockey just complete hockey fans or hockey people into into people who are just interested about how to be a better human being, uh, because that that episode has really blown up. It was one of the most successful to date, and and all the 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 episodes of late are just on the uptick. So it's exciting. Whatever you're doing out there, I appreciate it. You know, whether it's sharing it on social, whether it's talking to your friends about it, you know, talking over coffee about it sharing it with your families, it's uh, it's working. Because again, I mean, there is not a penny spent on this as far as advertising is concerned. There's no paid sponsorship. Um, there's nothing pushing this other than word of mouth. And it's super exciting to see how powerful word of mouth c- can be. So uh, I will bring you back now to the episode. And it's so weird to bring you back into something that, uh, that I'm the guest on. But uh, here we go going back to the conversation with me, Jason Podolin.
1: And we're back. Episode number six of Jersey stories with Jason And He uh, gave us a nice little outlook on his career spanning from the juniors in Spokane all the way up to his time in Germany. So he must've collected some really cool things. So Jason, it's item number one.
0: Item number one. Well, I mean, I think I'll start with the great one, uh, Wayne Gretzky because why wouldn't you even though he wasn't necessarily my player growing up like I was a I was a Mario Lemieux fan uh through and through and he was my idol but it was impossible not you know to massively respect Wayne and what he was accomplishing and who he was and and when Mike Barnett called me in my uh leading up to my draft year who was Wayne Gretzky's agent at the time and wanted to represent me you know I mean it was that in and of itself was a massive honor and super prestigious to to be able to field that phone call and you know he essentially had had me as i'm sure he did a lot of these young prospects with with even that phone call right and, and who he had in, in his stable and and uh, part of that his recruitment process meaning mike barnett's was was to bring me to uh, calgary to watch the kings play the flames in a stanley cup uh playoff game and uh, so i was there with mike barnett and he was filling my head full of big dreams and you know custom gloves and and all the rest of it and and after the game he brought me brought me down underneath in the concourse uh to meet wayne uh kind of i mean he was he was he was baiting that hook right that maybe we'll meet wayne and stuff and, <laughs> and so i was like okay great so we waited out there and, and wayne had two goals and an assist that night he was you know first or second star as usual and wayne, yeah and he came out and uh, of course was like trying to get stor- you know swarmed by by people or whatever and he was he was super gracious but like uh, allowed uh, us to have some room and and kind of mike Barnett introduced me to wayne and and wayne uh shook my hand and instantly started asking me questions like engaging me on uh you know where i was playing what type of season i had what 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 i wanted to do as a hockey player and like it was captivating really i mean it felt it felt like you know i was
1: were you starstruck a little bit
0: what's that were you starstruck
1: a little bit be like holy crap i'm this is Wayne Gretzky. I get well, to talk to Gretzky.
0: I mean, of course. But, I mean, but he had such an amazing way of making you feel comfortable, right? Like, again, by engaging me. Like, it wasn't awkward silence. I wasn't there, like, ogling him. He was talking <laughs> to me, and he made, it, he made it easy for me to have a conversation with him. And I don't know really how long that time went, but it seemed like minutes, and I'm pretty sure it was. And at one point during the conversation, uh, one of their trainers came up, or he called one of his trainers over and said something to him, which I couldn't hear. Trainer left. And then he came back with two sticks, uh, his shiny Easton sticks, right? Again, he, he's, t- he's still talking to me. He's not, he's not looking at these sticks. He's not talking to me about the sticks. He signs the sticks, both of these sticks, gives them both back to the trainer, and then the trainer leaves. I didn't even really see where the trainer went. So we continue the conversation. Mike Barnett then uh, – well, Wayne Gretzky actually invites me to dinner, which blows my mind. Mike Barnett overhears and he's like, no, 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 Wayne. Like we got to go talk some business still, like whatever. I don't know if that was part of the shtick or what, but like, I was like, I want to go. Yeah, no um, so anyway, so that got kiboshed. But then before we left, he's like, oh, Jason, I got something for you. So he turned around and he walked back and got one of the sticks that he asked the trainer for that was leaning against the wall. And he walked back over to me and he gave it to me and he said, hey, best of luck in your career. Uh, I, scored, I scored a goal with this in the third period tonight. Uh, you know, I just wanted you to have this as a, as a keepsake. And I looked at it and said to Jason, best wishes Wayne Gretzky. And again, for me now, who is a guy that wishes I was good with names and consciously tries to be good with names, like here's Wayne Gretzky who i introduced to an 18-year-old kid, you know, got introduced, here's Jason. Like he remembered that three, four minutes into the conversation to write that on a stick. Like, that in and of itself was like powerful. And it just was a massive testament to what an amazing gentleman he is. And there's almost nobody in the game that can find anything bad to say about Wayne. And because he's that kind of guy, you know, and I, I use that story as an example with my, with the players that I work with and that that I mentor. And it's just, you always have an opportunity to make an impression, right? You're always you're always able to impact somebody. And I think Wayne really was conscious about that, that he he was able to impact people and leave memories and marks, and he wanted them to be positive. And, uh, and that definitely was, you know, I ended up getting to play against him too. Like that's one of the, you know, I only played 41 games in the NHL, but one of them was against Wayne Gretzky. And uh, and that was super cool. And, you know, when I have a stick on my wall, and uh, that's definitely one of, the, one of the highlights for me is having his stick.
1: An amazing tale of, meeting Wayne Gretzky I've never had the chance to meet Wayne but of those uh that I know who have they say the exact same thing Wayne takes the time to talk with you sit and learn your name make you feel special make you feel like there's that connection that gives you that moment and so when you were playing in your days after playing have you kind of been the same way and anytime somebody who's asked you to chat about your time whether it's been the AHL NHL Jeremy, do you kind of make sure that you take the time and, and tell those stories too to, to kind of have that moment?
0: Now I am conscious of it, like in a in a cognizant way, you know. And again, I'm, I'm it's not like it is when I was playing, right? Because when I was playing, there's not as many people want to talk. But now I'm in a position of, you know, I'm a podcast host. I'm a you know I'm, I'm a mentor. I'm a local sort of community guy that's involved in hockey, and and I've been in the NHL. So now I understand that there is there is some type of responsibility that comes with that. And I, and I respect that, you know, and I, and I respect what, what, what that allows me to do and the doors that uh, it allows me to open and the conversations it allows me to have. So I I do, I do really do try and take the time now. I think people are an amazing part of the hockey community and uh, and yeah, and and should be treated as such. So, I mean, when I do those conversations, now I do, I do try and authentically connect and uh, you know, and and have those moments Uh, again, not from a situation where I feel, I'm providing this person with a moment, but just having real conversations. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I I think that's an important aspect of, of what we do on a daily basis and, and, and a skill we can definitely develop. And I think that was a skill that, you know, that, that Wayne had to get back to your question as a player. I, I do feel that I was kind of naturally okay at that. You know, if I, if I can say that, like I, I was never, I wasn't rushing past fans. I always took the time to joke or to try and get them to have a laugh or, you know, to, to, I guess I just say, have that connection or have that moment. I, I, I never felt better than, I never felt entitled in that scenario. I always felt appreciative. So I think that reflected in my relationships with, with those that chose to want to have a conversation with me. And, you know, I guess everyone has bad days and maybe I wasn't always that way, but I, I, you know, I, I think I was naturally like that and was appreciative of the attention that whatever attention I got. And I guarantee, I guarantee those who you did talk to uh, when you were a player or
1: were Appreciative of that I, anytime that I had the chance to meet an NHLer uh, when I was growing up, but it, it always stuck with me. It's one of those things that stuck uh, sticks with you, uh, when you were a little guy, uh, yeah. that that's, that's definitely for sure. So it's well, an amazing I said, even say
0: that to my, uh, sorry to cut you off, but even say that to yeah. like my oldest son or like my players on my hockey team, it's like, no matter whether you're 11 or whether you're 13 or whether you're Wayne Gretzky and a Hart trophy winner, like somebody somewhere is looking up to you, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and how you carry yourself matters, how you interact with those people matters, the impressions you make matter and your example matters. And, um, and yeah, you don't want to be a guy wearing an NHL jersey to have an impact, you know, that's for, for, for darn sure. Uh, and, and the earlier that we recognize that and have conversations about it, it just makes us better people. Right. And I think those are, those are good skills to develop.
1: Yeah. It, it just also continues a cycle of goodness, if that makes sense. Like I remember, um, Glenn Healy and I told the story in this, our second episode, uh, with, with Mike Ross, Glenn Healy invited me and my dad over to his house because my dad fixed some lawn equipment for him. And he signed a bunch of stuff for me and he took the time to to uh, to chat about his cup with the Rangers and his time with the Leafs. And it just, it absolutely made my day. And and I, I want to spread those good stories. And I find that it just continues a cycle of, of, of good stories and, and good people doing good things, if, if that makes sense, weirdly enough. But no, totally yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's, that's unbelievable that you had that that awesome interaction with Wayne and he's, uh, he's given you that, that nice stick with that sweet autograph. Wayne's always had uh, one of the best ones. So I'm really excited to see now what you have for us for item number two. We're going to take a quick break, but Jason's going to come right back with a second item here on Jersey Stories.
0: So we're taking you making use i guess of uh, nick's breaks he was planning breaks for his sponsors which i think is a good time to maybe talk about sponsorship because the success of the podcast is real and there have been a few people uh, a couple companies reaching out um interested in sponsoring the podcast i'm not in a huge rush to uh to choose one or to pick one i'm grateful that that people want to be a part of it of course um but I'm kind of in just a, a, a collection phase right now. So if there is a sponsor out there that you think aligns well with my hockey, uh, that there would be synergies involved, uh, between the two of us, please, you know, reach out to me. If, if maybe, you have a company that's interested, maybe, maybe there's a, you know, somebody, you know, would be interested. Uh, please let me know who that is. And if you have any suggestions, uh, maybe just, uh, maybe you just know the two brands, you know what up my hockey's all about and you know what this other brand is all about. And you think they would, they would go well together. I'd be more than willing to, uh, to reach out to, to said company. So uh, yeah, it's getting, it's an interesting time right now for up my hockey because we are starting to explore sponsorship options and it'd be great to have somebody on here that wants to have their name recognized uh, to the audience here that we've developed and, uh, and promote what they have going on. So Again, I'm all ears and uh, would love to hear some of your suggestions. So please send them along. Best way to do that is at Jason at upmyhockey.com. Jason at U-P-M-Y-H-O-C-K-Y for interest in sponsorships or suggestions. So now back to the episode.
1: All right. We are back here. Episode number six of Jersey Stories with Jason Padolin. He's got this lovely Wayne Gretzky autograph stick that he shared with us. And uh, what do you have for us for item number two?
0: Well, I guess I'm going to go backwards down the timeline uh, for this one. And I'm an eight-year-old kid at this point, uh, just a fan, just a guy who wanted, you know, loved the game and wanted to be in the NHL and probably the glory years sort of of my fandom. I think, I'm not sure, but maybe every kid, like that kind of eight to 12-ish range is that's, when you're... That's
1: when you lock, right? That's yeah, the key age. Yeah. I, I
0: think so, you know, because you're... You're, you're nowhere near an, an adult, you're nowhere near a man, right? And these, and these figures that are playing on the TV just seem superhuman. And it's just, it's just such an interesting, magical time, really. And I was, uh, it was 1985 and the all-star game was in Calgary. And I was just about to, so it was 1985, I was born in 76. So I was eight, I was just about to turn nine. So it was for my birthday present that my dad got tickets to, uh, to the all-star game in Calgary. Yeah. And my dad being a little bit of a maverick and, and a little bit of a guy who doesn't like rules too much, he he concocted this plan prior to us even going to get us in the dressing room. And so like it was back in the day when like the printers were like the size of your car and uh, you know and, and and PCs could barely fit on a desk and and the the printer paper was was the type that had the holes on the outside that had to run through the thing and anyways we we had this word program going and we and he he wrote he, we made a press pass essentially he made a press pass for himself laminated this thing that said press on it uh brought brought his camera that he i think he may even borrowed some special camera that made it look like he was he was some professional and and so we watch the game and we go down with every other fan that wanted autographs after and he goes, stick with me, stick on my hip. He says, you know, and I'm like seven or eight or whatever I said I was. And and he's got this pass and he showed it. And I mean, there was no such thing as like official press passes back then, I guess. And <laughs> got the head nod and we were in the dressing room. We got into like, we got into both dressing rooms, the, the Wales Conference and the Campbell Conference. And I was on absolute cloud nine in there, if you can imagine, like, you know, every single star, like walking around and having interviews and I could talk to whoever I wanted to and um, ended up meeting Mario it was a little bit of a downer. I mean, he was young at that point, like he yeah. was, his, I think it was maybe his rookie game. So he, he didn't speak any English at that point. So, I mean, there was no necessarily conversation. I, I got an autograph, which was super cool ended up uh but ended up having a conversation and this is where the story goes with uh, tom brasso so it was his second year in the league he was think 19 he just come off a vesna trophy and a calder and uh and he was just an amazing dude again right just took the time with this eight-year-old kid to, like didn't rush me through like got down on one knee grabbed a stick that he used that game it's got a crack in it and like in a puck mark and stuff and he says here i use this in the all-star game and like and that was again i mean was I a Tom Brasso fan prior to that no you know like do I think he's an amazing dude now yeah 100 percent. you know and his sticks on my wall and he had an amazing career and everything else but it was it was more just because it was like I almost had to figure out who he was after I left you know what I mean like I I, yeah I I didn't know everybody like I knew who he was and all these guys were good but I had to like find out who he was after and realized you know how, how kind of what a big deal he really was at that time you know and and that he didn't have to do that, and that there was a lot of other people there, and, you know, all these other things that that made that moment special for me, and and look, looking back on it now, like, who knows? I have no idea, but he was only 19 himself, right? Like, yeah. that might have been part of it at that point, because, you know, he he was a kid, too, right? And, and, and maybe he had a little bit of that youthful exuberance in him still. I don't know what he was like later on in his career at all, but I just know that 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 dressing room story and that moment in time with me on my birthday and spending five minutes, with Tom Brasso and having his stick and carrying that stick out of there with a big smile on my face. I happened actually to get uh Steve Eiserman's stick there also, but that was, that was really awesome for me because he was, he was more on my radar of like, plus I was a forward and everything else. Right. But uh, he never it gave me the stick, a trainer. I asked the trainer if I could have somebody stick and he came back with, with uh, Steve Eiserman. So me having Steve Yzerman stick is super cool, but I never really actually met him and he never physically gave it to me. But I did. I walked out of that dressing room with two sticks, Steve Yzerman's and Tom Barrasso. So that was a pretty awesome trip for for me.
1: Good call by your dad to make the fake
0: pass. Now,
1: oh. did you ever get a chance to, to tell Tom this story? Have you ever said, hey, Tom, I got this stick. Do you remember giving this to me back at the 85 All-Star game?
0: Never met him. I've never met him since uh and i never i never had a chance to play against him either so uh so no but i would definitely it it would obviously be something that i would have no problem uh telling him uh and and sharing i even got a picture from it too so um there's there's photographic proof as well as a stick
1: okay i'm making it my goal now for a future episode that we're gonna get tom Barrasso on and we're gonna we're gonna connect you and tom together Mm -hmm. and uh, and share that awesome all star memory but did your dad ask any questions like did he pretend to actually be a reporter or did he just? show the past no he didn't he didn't ask anything it was just to get you in there to meet here yeah
0: just to get me in there and then he would take pictures of me with whoever i was talking to right so there was a rolodex of kind of photos of me with nhl guys um but yeah no he wasn't he wasn't taking notes or interviewing anybody he was just officially just to try and get us through the through the door once we were in we were in
1: (laughs) bless hockey dads right because my dad did a similar thing I'll tell you a quick story before we get to your third item it was the 2006-2007 season for the Oshawa Generals John Tavares is playing for the the Generals at the time right I had a rookie card of John and I thought it was so cool and my dad said we're gonna get that signed for you today and so my dad happened to work with uh, uh, his boss at the time was a scout for the Sarnia Sting and he, he so we go down to or the security, we have no proof of anything of who we are, right? No proof that we're going to meet his scout. But my dad just says he was always a smooth talker, and he said to the to the security people, he's like, "Oh, we're going to meet to his his boss at the time's name. We're going to meet him." He said to me, "It's just down there." Oh yeah, okay, sure. So we <laughs> we walk down there before the game starts, and the gens are coming off the ice from warm up, and you know here comes John and stuff, and I talked to him and give him my card, and he was a nice guy, and uh, and he signs this big beautiful. Uh, I'll, I'll splice in a picture of the card here. I think I have it somewhere over here uh, in one of my binders. He signs it. He couldn't have been more nice. And I was actually on the subway in January of 2020 when the Leafs were doing their outdoor practice. And I don't think John was, I think, you know, he looked kind of tired. They just, you uh, Come off a game, I think the night before, and and I don't think he fully took in what I was saying. But still, I got to share that, like, hey, John, remember this? Thirteen years ago, when you signed this card, he clearly didn't. But he was still nice <laughs> enough to put up with my story. But yeah, <laughs> similar thing. Bless hockey dads for uh, for helping uh, guys like me and, and your dad as well. Meeting some of their heroes really cool
0: my heart was beating so fast like i remember that like it was yesterday like whether we were going to make it through security there right? like oh my god
1: what if if we get caught type of thing right but that's awesome that you got to meet uh some of your favorite hockey stars so now i'm really intrigued to see what you have for item number three after two amazing stories we're going to take a quick break and be right back with jason padolin
0: Hey there, guys. Just thought I would take this last break because I never really uh, asked specifically for your support in a review on iTunes. It seems like this is a really hard thing for people to do, and I'm not really sure why. Uh, There's a lot of you that are listening on iPhones. I get those stats, and that is, as far as I know, the only podcast platform that allows um, ratings and reviews, uh, written reviews. And it does make a difference on that platform. I think almost 80% of you are listening on iTunes and uh, and on iPhones, somewhere around that number for every episode. So, you know, four out of five of you listening right now are probably doing it on an iPhone. And I know how many people download the episode, and I also know how many reviews there actually are on the podcast. So... The numbers just don't add up. and honestly, it is such an easy thing to do. You just go to the podcast. It's the first thing you see up in the uh, up on the uh, heading bar there. It says ratings and reviews and you can you know you can leave your own rating and you can leave your own review. It would be super beneficial to the podcast. It does help in the uh, organic search for people when they look up hockey podcasts or what they're listening to or what iTunes chooses to show people who listen to hockey podcasts. And uh, the more that Up uh, My Hockey gets showed to people, obviously the, the, the quicker the, the, the messaging that we're, that we're talking about here gets into other people's um, playlists. So please do that. Take the time. Press pause. Um, leave a couple of reviews there if you haven't already, and it would be much appreciated. And it'll be appreciated by the person who gets to experience it because of the, uh, of the time you took. To take the review and increase the uh, the search results for up my hockey. So I'll leave you guys with that. Uh, now back to uh, to the interview and my my third my third memory here, my third favorite uh, memory of, of playing.
1: And we're back with Jason Padola in episode number six here of Jersey Stories. He had uh, pretty cool times as a kid at the 1985 All Star Game, getting a Steve Iserman stick, a Tom Barrasso stick. How do you top that? What's item number
0: three? <laughs> As you just did that lead in, I do have to say that because it, it goes hand in hand here. What, what I'm going to talk about is a picture that was given to me by a local photographer in Spokane. So it was something that was unexpected and it was a gift and uh, and what it represents is, uh, is really special. But it, there was a time in Germany, which I'll just go quickly, where a fan also gave me a present and a gift. Uh, it's just one that was completely unexpected and I'll do a Cole's notes on it. But she showed up at the arena in Mannheim with her horse. A, a horse? size horse that had my number. Like, I don't know how you do it. Like, hair it into like the, the flank. So there's like number nine on the flank and, and something else. on the other. it was the most absurd, <laughs> ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. I got to sit on it. Cause like Mannheim arena was right in this park downtown. So like there was this grass around the, I have no idea how she got it there. Like there was a horse in this park with my number on the butt, but, uh, Anyways, like I just remember that now for the first time. That was hilarious. So that was a very good memory. I don't think many guys can say they've had a horse at the no. arena brought to them by a fan with their number. <laughs>
1: how do you how do you deal with that as a player when you heard this news. I don't know who would have said it to you, but somebody come up to me like, yeah, this lady's got a horse outside for you.
0: (laughs) Seriously. It was so strange. We talked about it. Like, I mean, to be warm, right? Like I was, it was was really shocking and like, (laughs) and it was really weird honestly. Right. But it was still kidding. Uh, super memorable. So, I mean, I tried to be as nice as I can. She didn't speak great English. Um, she, I was obviously her favorite player, you know, and so you have to Respect that, you know, and uh, and I'm not necessarily a horse guy either. Not that I'm anti horse, but I'm not. <laughs> no, like, just you don't <laughs> know enough. <a> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, Strange, but, no, but back to my my last my last keepsake, which is super special because one Spokane for me was a really special place. You know, it wasn't always roses. There's definitely some valleys, but you know, formative years, right? 16 to 19 years old, four years with one team, a, a Canadian playing in the United States. My builds were amazing. You know, a lot of great memories and some good teams there and uh and we happened to close down an old arena and open a new one uh which you guys are familiar there with the maple leaf gardens we had something called the the boone street barn and uh it was it was just this mecca of hockey and like the way that it was constructed in the boards and every time you, you you'd get a hit like the the crash would go through the building and you would get that ripple down yeah. down the down the boards and it was it was just an awesome really special place to play and and uh, in my third year, we closed that, that building down. And uh, the last chief regular season game there, which at the time, I mean, we were aware that it was the last regular season game. And there was, you know, there was some pomp and some hype about that uh, being the last game. Uh, but actually, no, it was a playoff game. I'm saying it wasn't a regular season game. It was a playoff game. We were in the playoffs and we didn't know when the last game would be at that point. Right. And yeah, awesome. uh, I ended up getting, I had two goals and an assist or something in that game. And I ended up uh, being the first star. So which was fine. We ended up getting knocked out though. And that was the last game that was ever played. And then so the next year when I showed up, uh, this photographer gave me the picture that I sent you, which is this my skate leaving the Boone Street barn. And he named it the last skate. My, last, my skate was the last player skate to ever skate on that ice uh, because I was the first star of the game getting called out. So like super nostalgic. And like, I, that's really been special to me that I, you know, I was the last player to skate on that ice surface as a Spokane chief. And, uh, and that's in the hallway here in the house. And, uh, just always a reminder when I walk into my office of a real special time and a special place and, uh, and being a part of a pretty cool piece of history.
1: It is uh, pretty neat, especially when you're a part of a, a pretty historic franchise in junior hockey like Spokane. And what, if, if you can just think right off the top of your head, and, and picture it back in your mind and, and see it. What was it? What was your favorite goal that you ever scored
0: in the favorite
1: WHL goal? in the WHL? Yeah. Or one that distinctly sticks out. that You can clearly you close your eyes and you can just see it being played right out in your head.
0: You know what I see? And which is awful. And I know there's other guys wired like me, but I see a post that I hit. A and po- I a every, post of all things, hit. a post. Yeah. We, uh, we were in a playoff run. We were ranked number one CHL team in, 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 the, in the world or whatever, right? Out of all three leagues, we were ranked number one from those rankings going into the playoffs. We had a really strong team. And it was my last year. Just got kind of off a of world junior gold medal. Um, all the confidence in the world came back and kind of stu- ca- caught fire. And uh, we were down to Portland three games to nothing. So we were number one ranked team in the CHL in the first round playing a sixth seed in our division. And we were down three games to nothing. And, uh, and we were going to make history either way, Nick, because a first, a first seed had never lost in the first round and the team had never come back from down three nothing. So either way we were making history. And, uh, it was one of the only times that Mike Babcock, who was my coach at the time, he, he pulled me aside. I mean, I was this guy that year, but he would never have told me that, you know, like he was just that, he was, he, he was then how he is now kind of. Yeah. And, uh, but he pulled me aside before game four and he said, hey, this is your team, man. We gotta, we gotta ride you. You know, he's like, let let's get her done. If we're gonna do this, we're gonna need you. And uh, that was just kind of the confidence, you know, a boost that I needed, and ended up catching fire and had 21 goals in in 16 games. Like we got out of that series, uh, we won Game Seven in overtime. It was amazing. Still one of the highlights of my entire career to be able to accomplish that. And then we w- w- rolled through, uh, Kamloops, which had Jerome McGinley and, you know, all the Shane Doan and Tyson Nash and Strudwick and Luke, and all these guys, we yeah, rolled through teams. them. And then, uh, and then we ran into Brandon in the final. So I had, like I said, 21 goals in 16 games, getting there, scored three goals, uh, against Brandon in the first two games, we came back home and it was a shorthanded breakaway that I had. We were, we were up by, I think we were tied. It was second period. We were tied. a shorthanded breakaway. Uh, beat laner to his glove but i hit the post and it never went in and that looking and then i never scored again i mean so then we and then we end up losing in five games So we never got to the memorial cup and for whatever reason, that post is just always sat in my head. And I don't remember any of the 21 others that like that playoff. I remember the post and uh, kind of, it's because when you're, when you're a score like that, it's crazy, right? When things are going and you're feeling the mo and things are rolling, it's, it's fun, right. And stuff's happening. And then like, there is that moment and it didn't go. And then it was just like, it kind of just stopped going, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going in and, and uh, yeah, kind of our hopes and dreams sort of died with that post. And I always wanted to get to the Memorial cup. So. Isn't
1: it weird though, how the human mind works, how, you tend to remember the bad sometimes more than the good, like all those goals that you scored in that in that time from you, had 21 goals, and yet it's the post that sticks out the most. Yeah. It's always, it's crazy how uh, the, human, the human mind works, but. I know. But, I got but, one.
0: Hey, I got one for you. Okay, so here I'll we go. You a quick one. Yeah. Semi-final world juniors. That's when always been big. So we were there playing we Russia. It was 1-1. I hadn't scored yet in that tournament. I was playing well. But it was the first time they've ever had that format where it went to a semifinal final. So we had to beat Russia to get to the gold. And uh, and I scored coming off the wing, put one underneath the Russian's uh, goal, goal um, armpit, kind of hit him in the seven hole. And then uh, and up scoring again that game. But that goal was like huge for our team. It was huge for me on a personal level. Uh, we ended up getting into the gold medal. We won the gold medal and still one of the massive highlights of my career. So, I mean, I, I think that first goal against Russia would be one that stands out.
1: What's it like to put a Canada jersey on? Like I have one actually right here beside me right now. And I I love to wear it during the world juniors, the Olympics, but to actually put a Canada Jersey on and play for team Canada, like you're representing an entire nation and right around that time would have been when the world juniors started to get real popular too. What's that like?
0: Nothing beats it. Yeah. I mean, you've heard, you've heard it before. I mean, I, again, I mean, I've had guys on my podcast where you, you know, there's guys that can go on and, Play 10, 12, 15 years in the NHL. And if they won gold at the World Juniors for Canada, like that's their highlight, assuming they never won a cup, right? But I mean, it it always ranks up there, like in that type of rarefied air. It's just there's something completely special and. it's it's such a moving thing because again you you have those formative years of eight nine ten you're at home you're watching it's become a part of canadian culture right you do this over the christmas break you watch these kids who are wearing their heart on their sleeve every christmas trying to get this thing done and then now you're a part of this thing you know now you're a part of that crew that special crew the best 20 players in canada to do that is is wild. And you I mean you realize it at the time. Like you hundred percent realize it. You know how special it is and how hard it is. But, you know, it, even now like looking back, right? I mean four different NHL teams scoring here, scoring there. I had a pretty successful career. Like that is that is definitely like way up there to be able to do that and wear that jersey is a super special thing. Hey, I can still watch uh whether it's World Juniors,
1: Olympics, World Championship, whatever it happens to be, when a team Canada team wins gold and they're all standing on the blue line watching the flag go up and they're singing that anthem it, it gets me every time so for you to be able to to do that i'm sure going back and watching something like that it probably feel all those emotions
0: well there's something so innocent about it right and i think that's why it's yeah. so compelling for the for the average fan is because you know none of us your kids right the, the, yeah. your kids and, and you're still chasing that dream nobody there has play, played in the nhl yet you know you you've had great careers obviously but you're you're emotional you're young you're trying to figure it out and like how can you not get behind an 18 year old kid that's just pouring it all out you know every night you know it's just it's something that's easy to fall in love with and uh and i think that's what you know tsn has done such an amazing job of capturing and and really we owe it to them like their coverage of that event has been something really special for canadians to follow
1: yeah it really has
0: uh that and
1: Uh, and and these right from 91 onwards and and that that big one with Lindros and then since then it's just exploded into this thing like you said it's a two-week phenomenon right around the Christmas break you know you 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 have your Christmas day and then boxing day maybe you do some shopping and you come home and it's world junior time and uh, it's one of those great traditions. Hopefully it's just as good this year uh, in a bubble uh, coming up and uh, coming up in just a sec. We're going to take our last break and I'm going to share a quick story about this Jersey Jersey number six in my collection, this uh, signed Phil Kessel Jersey. And so we will be right back with Jason Panolan here on Jersey stories. <clears throat> yeah, the, uh, to, to win a world junior, man, that's, uh, that's gotta be up there it's is just, Oh, it's an nuts, amazing nuts. feeling, right? Yeah, oh, it's nuts. absolutely nuts.
0: You remember singing the anthem and then doing the whole, oh, you know, yeah. you're on,
1: you're on, the, on yeah. the blue line stuff?
0: 100%. And it was a relief, too, right? Because, I mean, there's always pressure on Canada, but it was, oh, yeah. for us, it was the fourth one in a row. So, like, yep. you did not want to be the team that was going to, like, not get it, right? It was, yeah, it was, uh, to get it done was a big relief and also, I mean, jubilation, too, for sure, right? Yeah, because the way
1: the, the attention that it gets on it, it's almost like Olympics junior now, right? Yeah, it has been. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. And we're back to conclude episode number six of Jersey stories. And Jason, you've shared with us your Wayne Gretzky autograph, your Tom Barrasso stick, that sweet picture of you being the last player to come off the old barn back in Spokane. And uh, I'm not sure if this Jersey uh, lives up to what you've, you've brought to the table, but it's a pretty cool one because it's one of my uh, signed jerseys. I got this Jersey for Christmas back in, uh, would have been 2009, this uh, Phil Kessel jersey, and I'll splice in a picture. And uh, this is one of the ones that the Leafs uh, started wearing in 2007. That was the the T-shirt jersey, as they called it, where there was a little bit of lack of detail. You had the, the focus on the logo, but there was no shoulder patch. There were no stripes at the bottom. But still, I really wanted a Phil Kessel jersey because the Leafs had gone uh, a little bit of time without a real true Superstar, real goal scoring uh, monster since Matt Sundin had retired and went through a couple of seasons where they didn't really have that, that go-to top guy. And so I, I remember the trade in the, the preseason of 2009. Said I got to get myself a Phil Castle jersey. And I did. And Phil came here and Phil did what he did, right? He scored goals. Um, and no matter what you think of uh, Phil on or off the ice, he came here, he scored a lot of goals and I really wanted to meet him. And I did at the, what was then the MasterCard Center uh, with the Leafs practice out in Etobicoke. And I feel, I don't know if I feel bad about this, but I don't like bugging players. And what I mean by that is, you know, if they're just out on their own doing something, back when I was younger anyways, I don't ask for autographs anymore, but asking for an autograph, I never really wanted to intrude a lot, especially, you know, never ask somebody while they're eating that type of thing right that's just let especially if they're with their family don't don't bug them and phil was on his phone and i didn't know if i'd ever get the chance to meet him and phil was talking basketball with somebody as he was walking through the parking lot you can't do it anymore they've fenced it off and for good reason because who knows i could have been some nutcase approaching him right mm. and so uh i remember phil just being on his phone and i, I had my jersey and said phil can can you please sign my jersey and he gave the autograph that's on the, the top of the eight there and that it was cool. He could have said no, but it was nice of him. And I, I got to have that moment with, uh, you know, one of the superstars of that era of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so I have to ask you, Jason, what was the weirdest thing you have signed or the strangest location or time where you've been asked to sign an autograph?
0: Oh, wow. You put me on the spot here. <laughs> strangest thing I've signed. You ever signed like... Because I, son- I signed that, I think I signed that horse. You signed the horse. I think I signed the horse.
1: With um, how's that? I
0: signed a horse. I did sign the horse. You wanted me to sign the horse. I'm like, Are you serious? You're like, yeah. So I signed the horse with a marker. With a marker.
1: I, I, I I'm <laughs> trying to process that, man. Like you signed a horse. First of all, there's a, you got to remember there's a lady bringing a horse to a game, which is strange enough in itself, and then to say, hey. On top of that, can you sign my horse?
0: <laughs> I, I know, we right? got to
1: find this lady, and i got to go through somewhere in Mannheim and go through the phone book and contact the Mannheim Eagles and be like, uh, yeah, do you remember this fan who brought a horse to a game? And we, we have to ask her, first of all, why? And why did you get Jason to sign a horse? That's crazy.
0: Nothing oh. will beat that.
1: I don't think any professional oh. hockey player or professional athlete on the planet may have a story for an autograph signing of signing a horse. Nothing beats that. You win.
0: I 100% so. you win. <laughs> I've also signed a forehead. That was weird. Signing a forehead is weird. But a horse is, is more, way more strange and uh, a little more. <laughs> body, part, body parts are a little strange too because obviously, well, a horse too, I would think it's going to come off, right? Yes.
1: Like my whole thing when I was a kid was uh, I'd like to get this. I never sold anything that I've ever uh, got an autograph of because that was my moment with said player you know i've have uh, right. signed jerseys signed cards whatever it happens to be right so it's it's always been strange to me somebody who asked for a body part to get signed or a horse to get hey, signed. Nick, didn't
0: you didn't you tell me that we kind of have a weird strange connection because wasn't your first game like my first game it was your like
1: it was one of, it was your first point i i thought it was your first game you had your first game actually the day after you were traded against the Flyers, March 19th, 97, yeah. April 2nd, 97. Actually I have it right here. This was the little shirt that I got signed when uh, I was just a little guy on April 2nd, 1997. And you see some signatures on there. Mats is on there, gotcha. uh, Dimitri Yuskevich Mike Craig, Rob Zettler, a bunch of signatures on there. I, I guess we didn't cross paths because we were just waiting uh, my family and I were waiting on, uh, on church on the east side uh, of the building to to meet whoever came by but it's pretty cool that we we do have that connection i mentioned off the top of the episode that april 2nd 97 the first goal i see in person you set up wendell clark that was your first point as a toronto maple leaf and here we are 23 plus years later talking about the leafs
0: and meeting
1: wayne gretzky and signing horses and all jerseys and all (laughs) sorts of stuff and uh, it really has been awesome to have you on thank you for for doing this jason and while you're at it please tell my viewers here about your amazing podcast because you have some great guests on and some great conversations as well tell me uh, and tell them where they can go uh if they want to listen and watch
0: up my hockey oh i appreciate that and first of all nick i do appreciate you having me on and uh you know caring enough to hear some some stories and i hope your listeners like them you know there's uh, there's always lessons right is what i is what i say you know whether whether it was no games in the NHL or a thousand, I mean, there's things you can pick up and and learn from for these, for these younger athletes and even for fans too, to understand what it, what it's like to, to navigate that space of hockey. I think it helps understanding the human side of it. But uh, as far as me and following me, uh, I'm, I'm really focusing. Well, one of my podcasts called up my hockey Uh, it's, it's about, you know, it's about the guys and about the journey. As I just said, it's about, uh, allowing them to tell their story and talk about some of the challenges and some of the things that they either did well or didn't do well and and having and having human conversations about them and not necessarily you know where their favorite spot to eat in the road was and there's nothing wrong with that question um you know but i just my podcast isn't really about that you know it's more about what it what it took for them to do that and 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 the mindset required to become a pro so i love those conversations it's really you know the podcast is doing really great It, it was nothing that i set out to be a podcast host but i think the the story and the conversations is is compelling to people and it's growing and it's uh, i'm getting a lot of good feedback about that so that's a, that's a good resource to consume some some content that might be new and a little different but as far as me and supporting me like i have a i have a facebook group that i've created a, an amazing resource for parents to to handle hockey H- hockey's tough it 's a, it's a difficult place to navigate you know I, I did it as an only child, and my parents weren 't hockey people, and we did the best that we could and You stub your toe a lot of the time along the way you know and you try and you're trying to do the best you can and and, uh, and I just think now in this day and age to be able to supply like one resource, one place to come in to get support, to be supported to, uh, to bring the right experts in at the right time to support the players. Uh, and to grow a community is really important. So I talk a lot about uh, you know the mindset side of the game, beliefs, and mental toughness, and confidence, and and that's where uh, where I speak to to my truths and my experiences. And like I said, I do bring other people in who are experts in different parts of of their fields, and and really supply this kind of a training ground and community for for parents to come together. So that's that's what I'm really proud of. That's where I spend a lot of my time, and then also with my private clients, uh, you know, just helping guys get to where they want to go you know I think that's uh that's something that I really wish that I had and I know it's beneficial for for some players to have that that trusted confident uh confidant you know that that support cast that that can help you through some things and give you some tools to put in your toolbox so you're you're ready when uh when the SHIT sometimes hits the fan you know because it inevitably will, will come at some point it's the mark for a lot of these players is how you handle that scenario and that event right and how you get through it so so, yeah, no, thanks for that opportunity to talk about those things. I'm on Instagram at Jason Padolan if people want to follow me there. And uh, that's really where I'm most active. And then on Facebook at uh, Up My Hockey. So that's, uh, that's where you can get a hold of me.
1: Awesome. And you can see the links to both Facebook and his Instagram account right there at the bottom of the page and uh jason it's wonderful work that you're doing both with the podcast your stories are amazing uh for those who uh, haven't listened he's interviewed with chris osgood and and nick Anderpov and bruce boudreau and todd warner who has been on this uh show as well some great wonderful stories and hey you should get into uh radio and tv as well because you you are a wonderful storyteller jason and uh, i look forward to many more episodes and also great work that you're doing, providing that backbone and helping players with the, the mental stability and the the psychological uh, human side of the game. I myself, when I become a hockey parent, I've, I've had those talks with my fiance. We've talked about, you know, uh, coaching and, you know, how how we're going to get them into the game or if they want to get into the game and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully down the road, we can be in touch again. And uh, yeah. maybe I can and count on you to, to help me out when I'm a crazy hockey dad trying to deal with it all. <laughs>
0: hundred percent, man. And that's the thing. We don't have to do it alone. I think that's the best part about this day yep. and age. And even you and I, like you mentioned it earlier, right? It's you're, you, you're not victim to your association or to your neighborhood or to your team coach. You know what I mean? Like there are people out there that want to help that can help and, uh, and you should look for help. I mean, that's part of any, yes. any type of high performer, right? Like has a group, a team around them to help them, you know? And that's really what I'm trying to surprise it to provide is that team for parents to just to clear the clouds, you know, get, get rid of the fog uh, have a resource, have some place to talk and communicate, and not feel like you're you're just going through this thing and 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 not knowing or guessing, right? So, yeah. anyways, it, it people are needed. I think that's been the theme of this, and that's kind of the theme of what Up My Hockey is about: is that use the people that are around you, help each other, support each other, and you know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have better results, and you're gonna enjoy the process a heck of a lot more too.
1: Yep, talking about things and the power of positivity, huge, and not just yep. in sport but in life in general. Awesome message. I think it's a great message to end on, Jason. And again, give him a follow, listen to the podcast. If you're out in the BC area and uh, and want some help with, with, I guess, anything hockey related, go to Jason as well. And Jason, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time
0: to join us for this episode. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you to Nick uh, for sharing that episode with me. One, having me on as a guest, obviously appreciative. Anytime somebody reaches out and wants to talk to you is something to be grateful for that somebody's interested enough in your story that they want to share it with others. And, and I'm grateful to Nick for, you know, saying, Hey man, yeah, take, take this episode, uh, and, and please use it. Let people listen to it. So thank you to Nick. Thank you for you guys listening. And also I hope you all recognize that, you know, I'm going to be transparent with this. That was, that's a bit vulnerable for me to do that. Uh, I was hesitant, Uh, A big part of me didn't want to release an episode about myself. I didn't want it to appear pretentious or narcissistic. But I felt that, you know, it's relevant and it's real and it's the truth. And it's one of the big reasons why you are listening to me right now, wherever you're listening to me. Because if those stories didn't happen, if my journey through hockey didn't go the way it went, there's a very, very high probability that I wouldn't be here behind this microphone right now. So for you to understand that and to have a little bit of an idea about me and my reflection of my career and what hockey meant to me and the challenges and the adversities and how I handled them and what I did well and what I didn't do well matters, I think, for the context of what my hockey is and what my hockey is about. So, yeah easy on me it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about me it was more it was more for anyone who cares enough about this episode to know that you know what there is a person named jason that's behind this and the reason why we're here is because of those stories so um so yeah so that's that's my story i hope you guys did enjoy it and we have a great lineup coming up. So next on the list is Ken Reed from Sportsnet, co-anchor of Sportsnet, also author. He's written quite a few books, one of which I was just in the last one. So we're going to talk about One to Remember, uh, which was his most recent book and about another uh, some other amazing hockey stories that he has. And following Ken Reed is none other than first ballot ho- Hockey Hall of Famer, most recently uh, Jerome Ginla. So we're going to have my ex-World Junior teammate on uh, to talk on up my hockey as well. So we have a couple fantastic guests coming up. I'm really excited about, and, uh, yeah, that's it for this week. So until next time, play hard and keep your head up.